Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. So here we are at the at the start of a new book, a new journey, a new year. Shall we pray together? Dear Lord, we want to thank you for your amazing consistency in our lives, Lord, at a time when things are so shaky and volatile and unpredictable. Thank you that you're the rock. You're so dependable and it's in you and on you we put our trust. This morning, this week, Lord, this month and this new year, and we just want to be found on the right side of you, Lord. We want to be found in you. We want to be found with you in and on us, with your power, Lord, with your love and with your mercy, Lord, and your character. And as we embark on this journey, Lord, throughout the book of Acts, we ask that, Lord, it would genuinely be that. It would be a journey. It would be like somewhere we've never, ever been before. And even if we're going over familiar territory for some, Lord, it would be like, Wow, I didn't see that before. Mm-mm, I didn't even know that was there. And want to get our cameras out because it's so exciting. And um, so be with us by your spirit as you promised you would. So be the great teacher by your spirit, Lord. Um, speak to us. Instruct us. Lead us and direct us by your word. Because truly it's a lamp to our feet and it's a light to our paths. It's 21st century headlights in the midst of a dark and wicked and perverse world, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in our lives and all that you desire to do this new year in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it won't be long. I mean, it's second week in January 2009 and it won't be long before (laughs) it's Christmas again. It's crazy, isn't it? Okay, well, boom, trying something new. So forgive me if I'm a bit um, distracted. But here we are in the introduction of the book of Acts. And <clears throat> you'll be glad to know that it's my aim, so that's why I'm asking you to set your watch, to be about 50 minutes. If I do an hour, you know I'm, I'm doing well, right? Okay, all right, turn to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 1 and verse 2. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. How many of you know our desire is not merely to know theology, but to live it? But you can't live it if you don't know it. Over the coming months, 
we're going to be looking at the important origins of Christianity. We're going to look at the meaning and the implications of the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the institution of the infant church. Emphasis on infant, which we'll come back to later. We're going to look at the development of the church in terms of its leadership, suffering, persecution, its effectiveness, and its growth. And this all over about a 30-year period. Now, the account of this author, or should I say the author of this account, is Luke, who wrote two books in the New Testament. The first one, bearing his name, the third gospel, right? A biography of Jesus. And the second book that he wrote, the book of Acts. Now, Luke has 24 chapters. Acts has 28 chapters. Together, 52 out of a total of 260 chapters in the New Testament. Therefore, Luke wrote approximately one-fifth, over one-fifth of our New Testament. Now, that's a substantial contribution, one which we must give the attention that it deserves. And although these two books, they're distinct, Luke doesn't seem to separate them. He doesn't seem, he doesn't see them separate, but as one book in two volumes, or one story in two parts. Listen to the intro of Luke's second volume, which is where you're at now, as it relates back to the first volume account. Acts 1, verse 1. He says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now, I've emphasized a couple of words there. Here we have described an encapsulated overview of his first book, the Gospel of Luke, which was what? His previous, earlier, or preceding account of all that Jesus, what, began. All that Jesus began in terms of what he did and what he taught. Now, who specifically was he speaking to in Acts chapter 1, verse 1? Speaking to Theophilus, right? Now, turn back with me to the former account, right? The part one of the two-part series, if you like, of Luke. Luke chapter 1. Verse 1. Real easy verses to find. First verse at the beginning of the chapter, the beginning of a book. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write you an orderly account. Most excellent who? Same person, right? 
The book of Acts evidently is an extension of the same story to the same person. Part one and part two both address to the same person or persons, namely Theophilus. And I say persons because the word Theophilus means Mr. God-friendly or lover of God. And because of the meaning of the name, some have suggested that Luke wrote his two-volume account not to an individual named Mr. Godfriendly, but to anyone who fell into the category of one who was friendly with God or a lover of God. But you see, Luke uses a prefix which is, quote-unquote, most excellent. And that comes before Theophilus in Luke 1. And it's something that he does also in Acts chapter 23, quoting a letter from a, a man called Claudius Lysias in Acts 23 verse 26. And he refers to another individual as the most excellent governor, Felix. So he uses the same term, most excellent. So the use of the term there designated a particular person it wasn't like hidden, obscure language. It was a literal person and one probably distinguished by his situation in life. Therefore, we would suppose Luke had the same purpose in writing to Theophilus, a man probably of high regard and reputation and position, possibly a Roman official. In any case, this introduction to both books confirms the authorship and purpose for writing. Now, the two books have a central or pivotal point, if you like, a watershed. The defining moment between these two books was what? Something that we don't really talk about too tough, you don't really hear mention that often, and I'm not going to be tempted to digress. A defining moment called the Ascension which is where Jesus did the opposite of what he's going to do when he comes back to rapture us. He won't be going up that time. This time, he'll be coming down, right? Where we will meet him where? In the clouds, in the air. After the dead in Christ shall arise first. This is that pivotal point between the two books. Not only did it conclude Luke's first book, and introduce his second, but it terminated Christ's earthly ministry and initiated his heavenly ministry. Not only did it conclude Luke's first book and introduce his second, but it terminated Christ's earthly ministry and initiated his heavenly ministry. The Gospel of Luke records what Jesus began to do and teach in his earthly body. The book of Acts tells us what Jesus continued to do and teach in his spiritual body. What we see is the two different stages of the same ministry spread over two volumes. The question then that has to be asked is, if the second volume called Acts is about Jesus, why is it called the Acts of the apostles. Why is it not called the Acts of Jesus? Well, the popular name in English 
is the book of Acts. And this is justified by the 4th century manuscript, for those of you that get down like this. It's called Codex Sinaiticus, in which it is simply called praxis in Greek. And the word means deeds or acts. But this doesn't tell us whose acts. The traditional title since the second century has been the Acts of the Apostles, with or without the definite article, right? So the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of Apostles. And certainly it is the Apostles that are uh, that are the main characters in this book. Who is or who are the main characters in Acts chapter 1 through to chapter 8? It's Peter and John. Who is the main character? Now, I know some of the youth workers, they've already been in the book of Acts for quite some time. I think they're in about chapter 10 or 11. Who is the individual who's mentioned quite particularly in chapter 10 through to chapter 12? Peter. How about in chapter 15? And I'll give you a clue. It's at the Jerusalem Council. Which one of the apostles? Thank you. James, as chairman of the Jerusalem Council. What are you laughing for? <laughs> How about, all right, here's a good one. How about Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 13 through to 28? That's an easy one, right? Amen. Is that me doing that? Okay, it's not me. Amen. So we continue. So, the Acts of the Apostles seems to make sense. But surely this sounds too man-centered. It omits at the outset the divine element. Others have said that because the contents describes more appropriately the influence and power of the unseen member of the Trinity and the title of the book of Acts should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit, they say. Even as the first volume contains the acts of the Lord Jesus, right? This, to be sure, would be a healthy correction. Throughout Luke's narrative, there are references to the Holy Spirit, like the promise, or the gift, or the outpouring, baptism, fullness, power, witness, and guidance, all referring to the work of the Spirit. It would be impossible to explain the progress of the gospel apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, right? Nevertheless, if the title, the Acts of the Apostles, overemphasize the human element, then in similar fashion, the Acts of the Holy Spirit overemphasizes the divine. Because it overlooks the chief characters who we just saw through whom the Spirit worked. And as we mentioned earlier, what about the involvement of the Lord Jesus? Well, the most accurate title, although very cumbersome, would be 
the continuing words and deeds of Jesus by the Holy Spirit through his apostles. Bit of a long-winded title, but that would probably be more true to the body of the text. Now watch this. These thoughts help us to distinguish Christianity apart. What you believe if you're a Bible-believing Christian, if you're a, which equals an evangelical, not evangelistic, that's a different meaning. If you're an evangelical Bible-believing Christian, these thoughts help us to distinguish our Christianity apart from all other religions who, watch, normally they regard their founders as having completed their ministries in their lifetimes. Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, Krishna. They ain't got no more input into what they started. Whatever they done is done. And if they never done it right, it's tough. They can't come back and fix it because them gone. Right? Good. All having no further input once their lives have ended. <laughs> Not so for the Lord Jesus. According to Luke, at Jesus' death, <laughs> he'd only just begun. And watch this 30 generations later, or 2,000 years later, we still enjoy and frankly can't do without the influence of our Savior. Amen? The finished work of atonement was the end. It is finished, right? Atonement, at one moment, bringing man back to God. The finished work of atonement was the end. But it was also a new beginning. This then is the kind of Jesus Christ that we believe in. He is both the historical Jesus who lived, past tense, and the contemporary Jesus who lives. Because he is the I am that he is. He was, he is, and he always will be. The beginning and the ending, the Alpha and Omega. World without end, amen. The Jesus of history began his ministry on earth. The Christ of glory has been active through his spirit ever since. According, and I love it, according to his promise to be with his people always, even to the very end of the age. I put that up there just so you could absorb it a little bit. See, and we can draw great comfort and encouragement 
just from that, just that one truth. I mean, you don't have to fight and lose your temper and lose your voice and stamp and flail your hands around to try to convince other individuals that they're wrong and you're right. Hey, and look, that's just one, that's, I was going to say that's just one little point. That's, that's one big old major scud missile like Exocet can take out the whole all false religion one time. It's beautiful. Very often we don't really fully appreciate what we actually have in Christ in terms of the new covenant. So we can draw great comfort and encouragement from that, can't we? As we travel through this book, we will see individuals found in, like we find ourselves in, tight and difficult circumstances sometimes. Yet, through them all, we see God's faithfulness and his constant presence in time of need. The Lord Jesus seems to have left them physically. What do you mean you're leaving? We've only just started. I mean, it's only, be, it's only been three years. I mean, we're just about getting started to appreciate this thing. And we ain't going nowhere. We're committed to you. Well, at least 11 of us are. What do you mean you're going? And so often, the Lord will speak to us or circumstances come and impact our lives to the point where we're left reeling and we're left asking questions like, what? is this really true? God of the Bible, are you really worth me putting my trust in? How do I know that, boy, when I die, I'm not going to have a surprise or a rude awakening? When these tsunamis come into our lives, right? We begin, to, we begin to question his faithfulness. Like the disciples, no, this don't make no sense, right? At that time, because of what you or they were going through. He seems to have left them physically, yet he says, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm going to be with you, but just in a different way. New Year's always contribute to change. Man, whether it's, as Pastor Ephraim said last week, New Year's resolutions, you know what I mean, to do this, that, or the other. Stop doing certain things and start doing the right things, right? The New Year communicates a time of change. But change ain't a bad thing. Jason's just sitting directly in front of me. We work for Urban Mission and we were teaching in Selsden at a particular time probably about I don't know about six months ago and we had a whole lesson structured around the issues relating to change and we went through these particular lessons and literally we saw these kids change but you know what they didn't have to but they chose to we had opportunity to wrestle with them a little bit, wrestle with their thinking and challenge them in ways maybe they weren't challenged before, got down right down on their level 
and be like, we're against you, we're actually with you and we're for you. So hear what? And we had opportunity to pour into their life and they changed to the point where we had one, bro, tell me if I'm lying, we had one year 10 group and how we functioned, Crystal's in here as well. Okay, can I see it? Okay, he's here. All of us work for Urban Mission. To the point, the change was so powerful and impacting to the point of one year 10 group. See, they used to bring us all the off-scourings. We'd be like, yeah, the worst ones, just bring them. All the ones who truant, the ones who always fighting, don't want to come school late, bring them. That's the ones that we want. The ones that you don't want, just bring them. So they brought them. And we had this group for about a year. A lie? A lie, miss? About a year. See, that's what we call each other in class. He missing, sir. A lie, sir? And <laughs> this group, let me tell it like this. The contract ended and virtually it got cut short where it should have been 18 months. It got cut short to 12 months and the borough's in beer trouble. Ain't got no money. Contract failed. So we had to leave. We went back to visit them. See the same group of kids that we had? Every single one of them, every one of them are now heads of year, prefects, and A-star students. And amen. Glory to God, right? Glory to God. And change, they say that, you know what? The way things are now with the young people, it's, it's hopeless. But it's not hopeless. You know what I mean? And that's what they say. I mean, they're professionals, right? You're in circumstances and situations and you think, you know what? No matter how hard I try, I just can't change. I've been this way for too long. And change is too... It's too difficult for me. It's beyond me. But that's not true. That's a classic example of the fact that things can change. And if things don't change, you can still trust that the Lord is with you and he will never leave you or forsake you. And you know what? The more you believe that and appreciate that, the easier change becomes. Because you realize that you're not really who you think you are. You're actually something much, much greater. Created in the, recreated in the image of God, the image and likeness of God. So, the Lord Jesus seems to have left them physically, yet they still have his invisible presence. And sometimes you just got to shut your eyes and say, boy, Lord, you know what? Even though it don't seem like it, I know that you're here and you're with me. For Karen, husband in a car. Imagine hearing, getting a phone call saying that your husband is in a car accident where the car's written off. They might say he's all right, but what goes through your mind as a wife? Just shut your eyes sometimes say, Lord, even though I don't see you. Maybe shutting your eyes is helpful because it shuts out what you can see and helps you to focus on what you can't see because what you can't see is so much more important than what you can see. Peter will tell you that when he was sinking because he was looking at the wind and the waves. Be encouraged. In chapter 5, we see the death of Ananias and Sapphira. And we see a spirit of soberness come upon the church. Then we see 
the apostles incarcerated for the second time. I mean, within like six chapters. Then we see the stoning of Stephen. You know, very often people are like, oh, we've got to get back to the book of Acts. Really? And they say it meaning, ah, the book of Acts was the ideal church. But you know, it was an infant church. And it really isn't far removed from the modern day church. Basically, we and them have issues. Later on, we see Paul imprisoned, not once, but numerous times, for the sake of the gospel. Furthermore, in the midst of all of these trials, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen to one of the apostles whose acts we appreciate when we read Luke's second volume. Listen to what he says, what goes through his mind when he's in the midst of a trial. Second Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23. I work more abundantly. How many of you know when you're going through a difficult trial or test, one of the last things you want to go is, you want to do is work. You're like, no, man, I can't even face work right now. And rightly so, because of the way you feel, right? But listen to what Paul says. (laughs) The bread is not right. He ain't real. I work more abundantly. I've been out to look at a new car. Just bought my second home. I've got food in my cupboards. I've got a couple of hundred pounds in the bank. I've got health and strength. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, I've been beaten beyond measure. In prisons, frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, not once, five times, five times I received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Imagine getting beat with broomsticks. Once I was stoned. Three times this brother. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I've been in the ocean. A night and day. What's that? Is that twenty-four hours? In journeys often. In perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Flick back to Second Corinthians chapter 4, same book. Starting at verse 16. Therefore, (laughs) therefore we do not lose heart. You know, Paul says that twice in chapter 4. Can I encourage you? Don't lose heart. 
because I'm convinced that what you're going through, as bad as and as difficult and as challenging as I know it is, because I'm there too. Don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, we have so many brothers and sisters right now going through physical difficulty, illness. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our, and look how he categorizes what he goes through. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, see, this is a man who thinks in the light of eternity. He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Second Corinthians, look, to, look at the next chapter, chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, it's all right. Because we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And he's talking about his body. He's not talking about what we commonly think he's talking about. Verse 2. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation or our house, our new body, which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent... This old body grown. I mean, if you know that's true. I'm going to be 42 years old and I've already begun to groan. My knee is hurting me. My back's hotting me. And wake up in the morning, I'm all bent up. And See, he says, for we who are in this tent grown. The Bible's so true. Being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. We want our new body. That mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, here's the key. Verse 5. Now, he who has prepared us. (laughs) Does that look right, that verse? See, I mean, if you know, this is one of them verses that you don't hear them preaching like, hey, everybody, get ready. Let's get, let's get into the word. Something really excited. And hey, now he has prepared <laughs> us for this very thing. It's like Pastor Ephraim said a couple of weeks ago with regard to Acts chapter 8. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But then they don't read the next part. In order that we might be conformed to the image of his son, Christ Jesus. That's why all that stuff happens. That's why Peter says, we shouldn't be surprised when these things happen and they take place. What does he say? I was trying to quote it, but I can't remember it. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which are to try you, to test you, as though some strange thing has happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Now, verse 5, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also, see, he ain't left you on your own, who also has, where's the Lord when I need him? Who also has given us, the spirit as a guarantee 
or a deposit, a down payment. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of Jesus. We're Christians. That means we're supposed to be walking how? By faith. Not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight or our senses, right? See? Verse 6. So we are always... No, we're not. I can't even read that. Is that true? So we are all... If you ain't got your Bible, you don't know what I'm talking about, right? It's all right. So we are always confident. Are we? So we are always confident knowing, do we? That while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, literally and physically. So I should say physically, not literally. Physically, absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So because I don't see him, don't mean I, know, I don't believe he's not with me. Read Revelation 2. I am he who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And the seven candlesticks or lampstands, he goes on to define as the church. He says, I'm he. And I walk through the midst and I know what's going on. That's how we could speak to the seven churches. But he wasn't there physically, but he was there. And you know what? He's here. But do you believe it? Well, you do believe it if you're walking by faith, verse 7, and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord, literally, physically, literally. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There's a bit of encouragement to walk uprightly. Now, we're going to look at one last verse in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, just verse 8. Love this. So, where are we? Chapter 5, flip back to chapter 4, verse 8. Paul says, we're hard-pressed. Not just from one direction. We are hard pressed on every side. Yet not crushed. We are perplexed. Lord, what is going on? Not, what's going on? Like speaking quite offensively to God. No, but that's wrong. But to say, Lord, Lord, what's going on? This is crazy, Lord. Perplexed. But not in despair. Don't feel that because you're perplexed, you then automatically have to be in despair. He said, persecuted, but look, not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because you're an overcomer. Paul, you're an overcomer. See, and the only reason Paul's an overcomer was not because Paul was any better than any of us sitting in this room. The only reason he was an overcomer was because he was in Christ. Anyone in Christ this morning? If you're in Christ, then you're an overcomer and you can join with Paul. This is the language that we need to learn to speak. See, and our prayer is that we will go on with the same courage and bravery, the same tenacity, the same 
faithful allegiance, the same vision that held Jesus on the cross, you know, it says in Hebrews. For the, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. He despised it. He didn't allow the shame to get the better of him. He said, shame, no, 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 no. You are not going to get a hold of me, shame. Forevermore, he despised it. He loathed shame to get a hold of him, to be, oh, look at me up here. It's so embarrassing. I ain't got no clothes on. Everyone's looking at me. He despised that. He never let that get a hold of him. May God give us that same kind of vision that helps us to hold on to our cross. Because how many of you know we got one? <laughs> Pastor Patrick, a couple of weeks ago. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross, personal pronoun, and follow me, Jesus says. So when you're there in your difficult moment, may God give you vision to help you to hold on. Imagine, come down off the cross. Why don't you save yourself? And forever will save us. I mean, do something. You know, all that stuff that you was doing before. It's not even that we don't believe you. We believe you, so do something. If he had done something, then he would have eventually ended up doing nothing. The reason he didn't do anything is because he was doing something. Hey. <laughs> May God give us that same sort of vision that helps us to hold on. For the joy that was set before him, he was able to endure the cross and despise the shame. That's stuff we need to hear at the beginning of a new year. May God help us to be willing and obedient. May he help us to be patient. Enduring in suffering. See, the heart of this book communicates not only God's love for his people, not only God's love for us. You need to hear that. He said that's one of, the, one of the vital and most important things that a human being desires, to know that they're loved. Because it gives you confidence when you know that somebody, you know, someone loves me, someone cares for me. Yeah. But you're taking things to another level when you know that God loves you and cares for you. That means you can take on the whole world. If God is for you, it don't matter who's against you. But if God's against you, you're finished. But that's another message, right? <laughs> Look, the heart of this book communicates not only God's love for his people, but also God's great love for those who have not yet come to know him. The book of Acts. It outlines God's great master plan of reconciliation through the power of the Holy Spirit in the finished work of Christ on the cross. It outlines things mentioned, mentioned but not fully described or discussed in the epistles. Now you're not an epistolist, right? Someone said they thought the, an epistle was the wife of an apostle. No. An epistle, <laughs> an epistle is a letter that was written by an apostle. That's an epistle. Sorry. Don't worry if they're laughing at you just because you did think that. It outlines things mentioned but not fully described in the epistles like 
Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. These are epistles, right? They're letters. <clears throat> it outlines these things that are in them, but boy, we don't really get no... If we never had the book of Acts, what would we really know about things like water baptism? Speaking in tongues or other languages? Practice properly. Preaching in practice. Open air or personal evangelism. What would we know about ordination of elders and deacons? What would we know about fellowship and Bible studies and prayer meetings? What would we know about the sharing of personal testimony like Paul? What would we know about the untimely death of believers like Stephen? About the, the book of Acts helps us to delineate. It gives a clear distinction between the old and the new covenant. Repentance, conversion, salvation, angelic visitation, demonic manifestation, healings, miracles, raising from the dead, prophetic pronouncements or demonstrations of power through the gifts of the spirit after Jesus left physically. All right, let's have a quick look because I've got about 10 minutes left. Let's have a quick look at the outline of the book. As I'm flicking, imagine, what would we do without the book of Acts? The outline. The overall theme of the book is the spread of the gospel from one place to another, from Jerusalem to Rome. In chapter 1, verse 6, through to chapter 8, verse 1, what we see is the birth of the church in Jerusalem. The birth of the church in Jerusalem. And verse, chapter 6, verse 7, if you like, gives us a bit of a summary of that portion. And if you like, you could summarize it by saying, by quoting that verse, um, chapter 6, verse 7, the word kept on spreading and numbers increased. Regardless of all the drama that took place. See, because we've got to remember that, you know what, this ain't about you. And it ain't about me. It's about God's kingdom, right? Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not mine. Right? So how it, how it works out and how it's affected ain't really our business. What we've got to do is we've just got to be obedient, right? Like they were. So... Chapter 8 now, verse 1 through to chapter 9, verse 31, what we then see is the expansion of the church into Samaria and then beyond. You could sum it up by chapter 9, verse 31. The church had peace and was strengthened. The church had peace and was strengthened. Chapter 9, verse 32, through to chapter 12, verse 24. We see the opening of the gospel now. To us. This, this was so groundbreaking. <laughs> Even the apostle Peter had, had to be like, no, I don't believe it. I mean, Peter, who had spent time. The opening of the gospel to the Gentiles, and it could be summed up in chapter 12, verse 24, the word of God continued to grow and multiply. 
chapter 12, verse 25, to chapter 28, verse 31, big chunk. We see the gospel spread now even further, further than the borders of Samaria. Now, up through Syria, right across now to Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, right over now to Greece and over to the far ends of Europe, all the way over, based on Paul's three missionary journeys, his last one, he actually ended up eventually getting to Rome. It'd be like, it'd be like, oh, what's, the, what's one of the greatest cities on the planet? Name some. Uh, that's the first one I thought. Who said Kingston? Bruh! Who's it? <laughs> oh, I've got to take that out of the thing because... What's my man's name? Bibles, Bibles. The original. Simply Andy says, no more brap brap. So, what, you missed that one, right? <laughs> New York is what I was thinking. I mean, if you want to reach somewhere, you know what I'm saying? That's, I mean, you reach New York, effectively, you can reach the whole world. And that's what Paul felt about Rome, but we're going to get there. I ain't got time to go into it now. <sighs> you could sum up that last section, chapter 16, verse 5. The churches continued in the face of all that was going on, all the, again, all the drama. The churches continued to be strengthened and increased. And in a wonderful way, we see the fulfillment of that which was prophesied by Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. How many of you know we ain't even started yet and we're already greatly benefited by this book? Although it has a very distinct and determined beginning, as we've seen. The conclusion is stark in contrast. It ends, the book that is, without ending. Actually, it ends with the potential of alternate endings. You know, you watch DVDs nowadays. Things are just crazy. I mean, you watch a film and you don't like the way it ends. You just go to the special section of the DVD and play the alternate ending. Multiple alternate endings to the book of Acts. Different places, different things happening. The book's open-ended because it ain't concluded. Because technically, the Acts of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, through his disciples, continues today and beyond. Most theologians and commentators, when summing up a book, they like to choose a central verse that describes that particular book in encapsulated fashion. A bit like what verse sums up the whole Bible? Thank you, Calpurnia. John 3.16, it boils down virtually the whole Bible. You want to know what the Bible's about, generally? Boom, it's right there in John chapter 3, verse 16. Now, the verse that nearly everyone agrees on in distilling or boiling down the book of Acts, nearly everyone agrees is found in chapter 1, verse 8. And it is there we must conclude today. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the 
earth, the uttermost parts of the world. Now, if you were one of the disciples and you heard that, you might be like, well, I don't know how that's going to happen, but boy, up until now, we've trusted you, so hey, I'm going to trust you. We have the advantage of looking back and seeing that that has happened. They say everyone's Einstein with hindsight. We look back and we can see, you know what? Jesus is, is Jesus trustworthy? What that, that verse proves, contributes to proving. Because it's not that one verse that proves. But that verse contributes to proving that he is who he said he is. And he ain't going to change. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We look back and we say, heavy. Jesus, you're heavy. Just like you said it would happen in the progression that you said it would happen. You're heavy. That's how we should talk about Jesus. You should walk out today thinking, you know, look, Jesus. Hey, bruv, Jesus is heavy, you know, bruv. That's how we should talk. Because he is. Before it took place, he predicted it. Just like in Isaiah. Before it springs forth, before it springs forth, I'm going to tell you. Boom, because I'm God. Because with reference to what's coming, I've been there. I, 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 actually, I live in the realm of is. That means I can see it before it takes place, long before it ever happened. So, you know what? How hard is it, therefore, for you then to trust me? See? The ministry of the Lord Jesus to the ends of the earth continues. How? Because you, I was going to say, you and me are sitting here. I'm not sitting. You're sitting. We are here and we bear testimony to the fact that what he said is true. Because we're here. Where? In reference to Israel, we're in the farthest, farthest parts of the earth. Everywhere you look, there's testimony. You want to look in the heavens and look at the stars, or look at the sun and be blinded by it, or look at creation, or look at your body and how it's fearfully and wonderfully made. This is why I always go over my time, you know. <laughs> you look at these things and look at the fact that we're here. It bears testimony to the fact that he's Lord. And all authority in heaven and earth, he said, has been given unto me. So, 2 Peter chapter 3, don't turn there. Verse 8 and 9 says, but, but, see, what are you going to do now with this information? He says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. That means you don't work according to our time clock, our time piece. But Lord, you're late. He doesn't work according to our time piece, right? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. See, this is getting to know him. Oh, okay then. Hmm, so I don't need to jump out my pram. I don't need to lose control. I don't need to start shouting and screaming, ranting and raving because things ain't necessarily going my way. Because he's not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness but is long suffering toward us not willing and we know the context not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance here's my my final set of points the ministry of the lord jesus 
to the ends of the earth continues until. The ministry of the Lord Jesus to the ends of the earth continues until that last person comes into the kingdom. Then will the end come. Verse 11 of 2 Peter chapter 3 goes on to say, okay, do you, do you agree with this? Do you appreciate and understand this? It's not his will that any should perish. His desire is that all would get saved. But there's going to come a time where the last person gets saved. Verse 11 then goes on to say, well, what are you going to do then with this information? He says, therefore, right? And normally you back up to see, when you get a therefore, you back up to see what it's there for. But we've been there and we read it. So he says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and, and hastening the coming of the day of God? Looking for and hastening, there's two things, the coming of the day of God. Question, are you expectant and looking for the coming of your savior. This is, this is old school preaching. Are you expectant and looking for the coming of your savior? See, do you know him? Second question, are you hastening the coming of that day? How? sharing the message see are you making him known one do you know him because you ain't going to look for him you ain't going to look for him who you don't know do you know him today and if you do know him are you making him known As we make our way through this manuscript, may we grasp the purpose for that which we've been grasped. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are exactly that. You're our father and you relate to us on that, that basis. How wonderful is that? From the, the beginning of, of that prayer, we're okay. Because you're our father. If we've put our trust in Christ. But now as your father, as your children, father, we realize we have responsibilities. Just like any, ch any child has in the home. Some they don't know that they have responsibilities and they're not being taught that they have responsibilities, but children have responsibilities. And Lord, we have a responsibility based on all the good things that you've done. That's why I can say to my son, son, take out the rubbish, please. And he can't argue with me because I tell him about all the good things that I've done for him. So Lord, help us, I pray, on, on the basis of responding to your goodness. It's only, our, it's, it's, it's only but our reasonable service to respond to all that you've done. And that's for, those, for, that's for those of us that know you. But Lord, I pray for those that don't know you, Lord, that may have been around church, may have read the Bible, 
may have never been to church, may have never read the Bible. Lord, that you would open blind eyes, Lord. That you would open up the eyes of individuals understanding and allow them to see. You did it for me, Lord. And you did it for so many others who are sitting here. In order that they might be able to identify that Christ took their sin and paid the payment for them. So that they don't have to pay it. So that they can, in the next breath, call you Father. Help us as we go through the book of Acts. Teach us, instruct us, encourage us. And help us, Lord, to fulfill that particular purpose for which you've called us as a church, as a community, as a fellowship, but Lord, also individually. Lord, help us, I pray. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Would everybody just stand with me, please? So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace.